Welcome to another episode of How I Built This. I am your host, Charles Xuan. Today, we have a very, very special guest, and his name is Douglas Kruger. Douglas has written seven books, and his latest book is called Poverty Proof 50 Ways to Train Your Brain for Wealth. Douglas, welcome to the show. Charles, great pleasure to be with you. So, Douglas, um, we had a we met a few years ago, and uh, I went to your your talk about the book um, about uh, when was it two two three weeks ago? That sounds and, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, I'm, I must say to people, it's a great book, and it was a great talk, and it was very very thought provoking. But I think some things that people don't know a lot about you is how did you actually get started on public speaking? Take us to the genesis. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of an unusual creature in the sense that most people who become a well-known professional speaker will tend to start off with something else. Uh, so they might be, for example, a CEO or a well-known rugby player. They've, they've had some form of formidable career, and then they've been asked to speak about it. Um, I went the other way around. So out straight out of high school, I was very keen on adding something to my CV, and I joined a Toastmasters club at the organization for public speaking presentation skills. And yeah. I wasn't even aware at the time that you can turn that into a full-fledged career. So the first couple of years, it was, it was simply something to add to my CV while I, I did a bit of media work in the background. And um, eventually what happened was I started entering these contests. They have national and international speaking contests. And um, to my great surprise, I managed to win some of them. And the result, <laughs> of, <laughs> the result of that was people coming to me and saying, well, would you come and do this presentation for our company? And uh, as a result, I then found out about this global network of conference speakers and uh, this entire industry. And I've now okay. been in it for about 16 years. So uh, a sharp learning curve, but a, but a very good one. So you basically never planned out. I mean, so you found this career by accident, in other words. Essentially, yes. Yeah. I um, the goal was always to to work as a um, a writer, and I enjoyed speaking from the word go. I just uh -huh. I simply wasn't aware that you could combine the two and actually turn it into a viable career. But it very uh -huh. much is a viable career, and it's it's quite an, an interesting one in the sense that it is many careers rolled up into one. It okay. is. It's the role of coach. It's the role of entertainer and performer. It's the role of guide and guru. It's the role of author. Um, and each one comes with its own unique and interesting challenges. Mm -hmm. So, now, I mean, you've been running your business for a very, very long time. And do you remember your the exact date and the exact uh, month that you started? I must be honest with you, I actually don't. And the reason for that is that it wasn't a clear-cut start. Um, so I, I worked in radio and as a, a very low-level newspaper journalist for a, for a few years. And yeah. while I was doing that, I was entering these speech contests and occasionally doing a professional, which is to say a paid speech here and there. And yeah. over time, I realized that um, you know I, I, I could actually make the, uh, make the jump and go full-time and do, do nothing but... But mm -hmm. that was about 15, 16 years ago. And uh, again, I can't say that it was a sort of a, a clear-cut once-off event. It was sort of a merging of one style of career into another. Okay. And uh, so in 15 years, what, what, what would you say, you, which part do you enjoy the most about running a business? Well, I think that the heady part, the intoxicating part, has to be standing up on a stage in front of a large group of people. It is equal parts terrifying and uh, and energizing. So imagine mm -hmm. the scene. The lights go down. It's a massive auditorium. They start playing dramatic music. And 
after the music and the applause dies down, an MC walks to the, t- the front of the room and he introduces you and creates high expectations. Then the audience applause begins and you walk up onto the stage and you look out at this sort of sea of faces and these blinding lights from where you're standing. And you realize for that one split second before you begin that not only do you have the privilege of the platform, the opportunity to stand up and speak in front of this large group of people, but you have a certain degree of responsibility, both to provide the entertainment for the next hour, but also something life-changing, something that they can walk out of that auditorium with and say, I'm going to try that in my scenario, and let's Mm. see if that makes me, my business, my brand more prosperous. And there's something, as I say, it's a high level of accountability, but there's something wonderful about it at the same time. Well, with uh, I mean, what's the line that Spiderman says? With great, great, great power comes great responsibility. Yep. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So, the, out of the fifteen years, um, all, all these highs and lows in the places you've spoken to, the people that you've met, the big stage, small stage, perhaps there's certain hiccups. Do you have any favorite memory of the of the last fifteen years, and why? I would say that that probably the uh, my my all time favorite memories would be would be one of two things. It would sure. either be competing at the uh, the global stage for for Toastmasters International, which is typically an audience of about two to three thousand people. So so really quite large by particularly mm. by South African corporate standards. Our mm. our conferences tend to be say a couple of hundred people at a time. Two two and a half thousand people in an auditorium is attention getting for for the speaker and it does things to your heart rate what, um, uh, what country was that in uh, that's um I've, I've represented our our nation five times and it's in a different uh-huh. place every time more often uh-huh. than not it's in the united states uh, but uh-huh. from time to time it might move to southeast asia or australia or you know uh, different locations around the world so that would, so, that would be number one and okay. um i would say highlight number two would have to be the publication of a new book and particularly the first one. My, my first book with Penguin was titled Own Your Industry, How to Position Yourself as an Expert. And that came out in 2014. And a part of me still can't quite believe that I am a published Penguin author. I, I still think I'm going to wake up one day and realize it was all a dream. Uh, and there's something very special about turning a series of stories and lessons and ideas into a manuscript and then going through this year-long editing process, one day walking into a branch of exclusive books and seeing the book on the shelf. There's there's nothing really to to top that. Oh, wow. That's, uh, you just took me on a, a mental journey and I, I saw that. And uh, I, you said it was 2014 about, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, first one with Penguin. Uh, yeah, that's actually where I first took notice of you. I mean, we had that book in in in, in the company, and uh, I took a copy and I read a copy and I, and I saw you speak, and that's yeah, that was uh, that's what five years ago. Yeah, yes. Uh, in fact, I think sure. it's now six years. We're on yeah. to book number seven, and um, off the top of my head, I recall that one year we published yeah. two books. Uh, seven oh, books. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay, so if you if you can go back into fifteen years, if you can wind the clock a bit, I mean, is there anything that you wish you had known before? Well, I mean, what would you basically what would you tell your younger self fifteen years ago? I I would tell my younger self to get to the international conferences much sooner. And here's what I mean by that: it uh, it probably took me about six or seven years worth of of speaking career before I actually went and attended a convention for speakers, and that's hosted. Why is that? by Mm, so, what took you so long? 
Uh, okay, it's hosted uh, globally by a group called the National Speakers Association, and that is a sort of a training body and, a, and an uh -huh. accreditation body for professional speakers. And I can recall the first time I went to one of their conventions, it was in Dallas, Texas. And at yeah. the time, it cost me something like 35,000 Rand for the, the round trip with the, the flights, the bookings, the, uh, the entire works. And I can remember looking at that and thinking, that's a, a lot of money to spend. And I don't <laughs> that is yeah. quite a bit. <laughs> However, when I arrived back, one of the ideas, literally just one idea from one session successfully implemented, doubled my income for the next year. So my advice to my younger self would be go and learn sooner. Don't take so long to get out there and actually attend these valuable conventions. May I ask what was that advice? Do you, do you know, I can't remember, remember off the top of my head what it was now. I came back yeah. with, with pages and pages of notes. Um, and there were that, that one particular idea plus four or five others um, that just changed the course of my trajectory. Wow. <laughs> Excuse me. I think if I remember off the top of my head, that particular one had to do with pricing and positioning. And um, I, I had perceived myself as a very low level speaker for a, for a long period of time. And the ideas around how you structure your product how you present yourself to the market in order to raise your brand and position yourself as premium. Those are the, the things that made the most difference to me. Was that before you published your book or after? When you that, say when you because you, you were talking about you you uh, you you looked at yourself as a low level so that was was that that was before publishing the book or prior to the book yes and in fact the the book would have been a, a large part of that change in my own mindset and my own positioning. Uh huh. So would you say you you did have uh, suffer a little bit from uh, imposter syndrome? Like you we just all feel like yeah. our child. Absolutely. We, we all do. And I certainly did. And I remember it quite profoundly. Um, I mean, I mentioned a moment ago that the idea that um, Penguin publishes my books still seems yeah. unreal to me. And yeah. that's after 16 years worth of career. Uh, so I, I've come to understand on what we might call an academic level that everyone yeah. suffers from imposter syndrome. And there are various things that you can you can do to help yourself with that. The first one is to, in a sense, Lower the bar for what it is that you believe is expected of you. You do not have to be a global level expert in order to teach, to train, to, to guide others, to run a business. You merely need to know more than your target market. And that will do. That is sufficient hmm. to help you to help others. So the sense that we have to be Oprah from day one, it really is a false expectation. And that's why we suffer from imposter syndrome. All you need is sufficient amount of knowledge and expertise to help someone who is not where you are. And that'll get the job done. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's very good advice. And do you have any... Um... I mean, do you have any favorite uh, sayings that you like to use or favorite man, uh, favorite quote, favorite word? I mean, do you have any of those things? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, when, when I'm generally asked, what is the uh, the advice that you would give to, to young entrepreneurs, anyone starting their business, anyone trying to become prosperous? Mm -hmm. My go-to response, which is something I believe in very deeply, is this idea. You are not separated from your goals by a matter of years. You are separated from your goals by a matter of actions. And that puts the ball firmly back in your court. And I love mm. that idea. That, that just captures something for me. It's this notion that dreams, goals, um, large-scale accomplishments are not something to be viewed as far off. One day I'll write the book. One day I'll start the company. Instead, mm. we should look at that as it, it, I am separated from that end result merely by a number of steps that I can take. So 
how long until I take that first step? Mm. Okay, that's uh, that. Well, that's again, that was very, very profound. So, I mean, obviously, there's a. I've actually, I'm sure you're aware of it, that. Um, there's there's a talk of luck versus hard work. Like you know, certain people were born at a certain uh, time in a certain family. So, from your perspective, if you look at yourself and being a being a, representing the country, being a published author, how much would you say it's luck? How much would you say it's hard work? Okay, that's a fascinating topic. The first person really to weigh in on that one in a very big way was Malcolm Gladwell with the book Outliers, where he yes. broke down things like, you know, the age of a school kid and how that determines their marks and so on and so forth. Yes. Now, there is there is certainly something to be said for the luck argument, and I, I don't dismiss it entirely. However, okay. here's what I keep coming back to. When people talk about, say, the uh, the top billionaires and top CEOs around the world, and they say, well, come on, you know, someone like a, uh, a Bill Gates or a Mark Zuckerberg, there was that one moment where they got lucky. Well, fair mm. enough, yes, but these are the outliers. These are the extreme yeah. cases. Of, the exception, you know, not the rule. They are the exception, not the rule. The, the way out there exceptions. And mm. when we look at that and we go, well, yes, it's all determined by luck because, look, there are only a small handful. What we conveniently do is we dismiss the massive group of people who were not particularly lucky, but simply worked hard, applied strategy, and became what we might call inconspicuous or anonymous multimillionaires, but not multi-billionaires. Mm. So my, my big take on this one is I think we take the, the notion of luck too far. Absolutely okay. any life. You know, it, there is nothing particularly controlling where your life goes other than the combination of your actions versus how you kind of bump about in the world around you. So to to accredit all success to luck is really to go too far. To accredit everything to you in entirety is to go too far. However, I think that more of it is up to us and our strategy um, than we, we seem to realize. We're, we're leaning a little too heavily on the, the luck idea these days. Okay, so for your so if your own journey, you will say most of it. So more than what seventy percent, sixty percent is hard work, and maybe ten percent is luck. Is that I'll, how you I'll will? This, I'll say it's a combination of my hard work and strategy, and some yeah. very good human beings. And what I mean ah, by that, for example, uh -huh. when I joined a Toastmasters club for the first time, there yeah. I was, an eighteen-year-old kid, and you know people who saw me speak and who saw me attend the meeting said, that's great. Try this. Have you thought about the following? Gosh, look how mm, far you mm, go. Mm, mm, and mm. I've, I've tried to do that in turn as far as I go as well. Um, I believe less in luck than I do in the combination of strategy and good people. So, you know, there's something that we both benefit from and that we can offer to others in turn is just mm. that little bit of guidance, insight, advice, that, that helping hand that helps others to get to, to where they need to go. Oh. Okay. And then the, I mean, uh, final question. Now, um, I, the, the, the people that I've, I've, that I've interviewed and most of them invest in themselves one way or another. I mean, have you purchased anything that's less than a thousand rand in the past uh, few months that has uh, made a positive impact in your life that you oh, can hey. think of? I walk into bookstores and I walk out consistently poorer with arms full of books. <laughs> <laughs> so you still believe in hard copies, not Kindle? Oh, you know what? I do everything. I, I while I'm bathing my little kid, I'm reading a Kindle book on on my iPhone. Um, when I when I lie in bed, I'm reading a hardcover book, and when I'm driving, I listen to Audible. So for me, uh -huh. it's just nonstop. You don't discriminate. 
Reading is reading. You don't discriminate. Reading is reading, and I do not discriminate. I'll share a little story with you. I was chatting with a uh, the owner of a speakers bureau just a couple of days ago, and as part of my little daily motivational videos, I asked her a couple of questions. I said, you know, what do speakers do wrong? What do people who approach you what 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 do they do wrong? And she says, for her money, the thing that she sees, the thing that most troubles her, is that a person will get to a, a certain level of proficiency. They'll become a good speaker. They have a great topic. But then they stop investing in themselves, echoing your words there. And she says the the top speakers, the top consultants, the top practitioners are the ones who do not stop investing in themselves. They are always reading, reinventing themselves, attending conferences, launching new ideas. They're always doing something. And quite aside from how much information you're taking in when you live that way, it creates an attractive energy. And it's an energy that an agent can work with. An agent doesn't want a stale person who accomplished something 10, 15 years ago and has done nothing since and is trying to coast on their laurels. They want it's, to like, it's like a stand-up comedian that uh, tells the same joke year, year in and year out. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Perfect example. Or, for example, if uh, you know, a person speaks on something like innovation, their, their talk hasn't changed in the last 10 years, but the landscape and the climate have. Or they launched the book five, five, 10 years ago, and the world has moved on. So mm-hmm. it's the person who is breaking new ground, surging forward, living with a certain sense of curiosity and energy. That's the person who gets ahead. And in fact, picking up on that that word curiosity, earlier, I think it was in fact last year, Forbes magazine published a uh, an article saying, millennials, this is why you don't get um, promoted. And they said the number one thing that holds young people back is that they don't show a sense of curiosity or interest about the world about them. They're stuck in their own little world, living on their phones. They, they don't particularly care about the business or the landscape or what's going on in the, the world surrounding them. And that sense of interest and, and that keyword curiosity, that sets people apart. But how do they measure somebody's curiosity? I mean, I mean, based on what are they? Uh, are you, are they not something you're going to measure. You, there's no graph. There's no metric for that. But but you'll see it if you are leading a team of people. You, yeah. you are very quickly going to see who switched on and paying attention and who just fundamentally doesn't Coasting. care. It, it's going to take uh-huh. you half an hour to figure that one out. And as I say, it's not it's not going to be based on any metric whatsoever. It will jump out at you just in your interaction with human beings. No, you're very right. Because if I think about uh, the, some of the colleagues I used to work with, you can see some 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 people are, are they they care more, they rock up at work more, they read a little bit more, and some people are just coasting. No, you're right. You can just tell by the attitude. Yeah, jumps right out at you. Hmm. Great. And um, Douglas, thank you so much for your time. And if the listeners want to get hold of you or want to get a copy of your book, or if you want to, if they want to book you for an event, um, where can they get hold of you? Sure thing. The uh, the easiest sort of central place would be my website, which is just my name, douglaskruger.com. Um, and I, I do have a YouTube channel as well in which I do a little daily motivational series called From Amateur to Expert. But it's probably easier just to find the videos on my website. There's a, uh, a link to every single one of them. And um, the books are all in the stores. Uh, but if you prefer audio books, they're, they're all on Audible as well, read by, read by the author. <laughs> awesome thank you so much Douglas. we appreciate it very very much and I'm, I'm i'm very very certain the listeners will enjoy this podcast it's such a pleasure charles thank you so much for the opportunity